0: Section 30 of Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1, Section 30. Chapter 8 The Dynasty of Valentinian and Theodosius the Great. By Norman H. Baines. Part 5. In the year 384, the pagan party in Rome had taken fresh heart. The emperor had raised two of their number to high office. Symmachus had been made urban prefect, and Pretextatus praetorian prefect. Men began to hope for a repeal of the hostile measures of Gratian and a resolution of the Senate empowered Symmachus to present to Valentinian their plea for toleration, and in especial for the restoration of the altar of victory. Gratian had thought, the praefect contended, that he was fulfilling the Senate's own desires, but the Emperor had been misled. The Senate, nay Rome herself, prayed to retain that honoured symbol of her greatness, before which her sons for countless generations had pledged their fate. It was the loyalty to their past, and to that godhead before whom their ancestors had bowed, that had made the Roman masters of the world, and had filled their lands with increase. It was a high and noble argument, but it availed nothing before the scornful taunts of Ambrose, and Valentinian dismissed the ambassadors, with a refusal. At this time, a Persian embassy arrived in Constantinople, three hundred and eighty-four, announcing the accession of Sapor the Third, three hundred and eighty-three to three hundred and eighty-eight, and bringing costly gifts for Theodosius, gems, silk, and even elephants. While in three hundred and eighty-five the emperor secured the submission of the revolted eastern tribes. In the following years, the disputed question of predominance in Armenia was revived. Stilicho was sent to represent Rome at the Persian court, and in 387, a treaty between the two great powers was concluded, whereby Armenia was partitioned. Some districts were annexed by Rome and some by Persia, while two vassal kings were in future to govern the country, some four-fifths of which was to acknowledge the supremacy of Persia, and the remaining one-fifth the lordship of Rome. Modern historians have condemned Theodosius for his acceptance of these terms, but he needed peace on the eastern frontier if he were to march against his western rival and his predecessors had all experienced the extreme difficulty of retaining the loyalty of armenian kings better a disadvantageous partition with security he may have argued than an independent state in secret alliance with the enemy the emperor was in fact forced to recognize the strength of persia's position In the west, Ambrose once more travelled to Gaul, at Valentinian's request, upon a diplomatic mission, probably at the end of 385 or in 386. He sought the consent of Maximus to the burial of Gratian's corpse in Italian soil, but permission was refused. Maximus was heard to regret that he had not invaded Italy on Gratian's death. Ambrose and Bauto, he muttered, had foiled his schemes. When the bishop returned to Milan, he was convinced that the peace could not endure. Indeed, events showed the profound suspicion and mistrust which underlay fair seeming concord. Bauto was still holding the Alpine passes when the Juthungi, a branch of the Alamanni, entered Raetia to rob and plunder. Bauto desired that domestic pillage should recall the tribesmen to their homes, and at his instigation, the Huns and Alans who were approaching Gaul were diverted and fell upon the territory of the Alamanni. Maximus complained that hordes of marauders were being brought to the confines of his territory, and Valentinian was forced to purchase the retreat of his own allies. Preparing for the coming struggle with Maximus, absorbed the attention of Theodosius in the east, and the exceptional expenditure placed a severe strain upon his resources. In one and the same year, it would seem, January 387, the emperor celebrated his own decenalia and the quinquennalia of his son Arcadius, who had been created Augustus in the year 383. On the occasion of this double festival, heavy sums in gold were needed for distribution as donatives among the troops. In consequence, an extraordinary tax was laid upon the city of Antioch, and the magnitude of the sum demanded reduced the senators and leading citizens to despair. But with the inherited resignation of the middle classes of the Roman Empire, they yielded to inexorable fate not so the populace turbulent spirits with little to lose and led by foreigners clamoured round the bishop flavian's house in his absence their numbers swollen by fresh recruits from the city mob they burst into the public baths intent on destruction and then overturning the statues of the imperial family dashed them to pieces one house was already in flames and a move had been made towards the imperial palace, when at length the authorities took action. The governor, or comms orientis, interfered and the crowd was dispersed. Immediately the citizens were seized with hopeless dismay as they realised the horror of their crime. A courier was forthwith dispatched with the news to the emperor, while the authorities, attempting to atone, by feverish violence for past neglect, began with indiscriminate haste to condemn to death men, women and even children. Some were burned alive and others were given to the beasts in the arena. The glory of the East saw her streets deserted and men awaited in shuddering terror the arrival of the imperial commissioners. While Chrysostom, in his Lenten homilies, endeavoured to rouse his flock from their anguish of dread, while Libanius strove to stay the citizens from headlong flight, the aged Flavian braving the hardships of winter, journeyed to Constantinople to plead with Theodosius. On Monday of the third week of the fast, the commissioners arrived. Caesarius, Magister Officiorum, and Helibicus, Magister Militia, bearing with them the emperor's edict. Baths, circus and theatres were to be closed. The public distribution of grain was to cease and Antioch was to lose her proud position and be subject to her rival, Laodicea. On the following Wednesday, the commission began its sittings. Confessions were wrung from the accused by torture and scourgings. But to the unbounded relief of all, no death sentences were passed, and judgment upon the guilty was left to the decision of Theodosius. Caesarius himself started with his report for the capital. Sleepless and unresting, he covered the distance between Antioch and Constantinople in the incredibly short space of six days. The prayers of Flavian had calmed the emperor's anger, and the passionate appeal of Caesarius carried the day. Already the principal offenders had paid the forfeit of their lives. The city, in its agony of terror, had drained its cup of suffering. Let Theodosius have mercy and stay his hand. The news of a complete amnesty was borne hot foot to Antioch, and to the joy of Easter were added the transports of a pardoned city. End of section 30